0: Amen. Why don't you give uh, Travis a hand as he comes to bring God's Word.
1: Welcome out to the 6pm service. It's great to be sharing with you tonight. For youth, we are doing a hub night this Friday night where we we found that connect groups are really going off at youth. Um, Kids want to chat. Kids want to know. Um, they want to connect together and know the truth about life and about God. And so we're going to spend a bit of time this Friday night doing that. If you're, if you're a high school age student, you've never come to Switch before, you are more than welcome to come. Um, come and chat to me afterwards and I'll, um, I'll tell you all about it. But uh, if you've joined us here at Bridgman over the last uh, sort of few months or so, we've, we've been in and out of a series in the book of Mark and uh, we are gonna wrap that one up tonight. We, um, we do like to wrap up a series before we go into a new one. So we're gonna wrap that one up tonight before we head into a new series next week. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt spoke from Mark 11, where uh, Jesus was angrily overturning tables in the temple courts. Um, and it brought up that there is, um, there's certainly moments in the narrative of Jesus's life uh, which can be can be easy to sweep under the rug a little bit, um, because at face value they don't seem to uh, match our picture of Jesus or the character that we think Jesus um, should have. You know One might read about Jesus um, angrily overturning tables uh, in the temple courts and um, and notice that Jesus doesn't appear at, at least by human perception he doesn't appear. Uh, perhaps as kind or as, as loving as he does when he's, when he's healing um, people and helping those in need. Or conversely, um, without truly understanding these moments, one might even assume uh, Jesus to actually be, in fact, angry or demanding or um, hateful. Even and as Pastor Matt talked about last week, a lot of people have this perception of God that He's a hateful, He's angry, He's out to get them, He's demanding. Um, and and without without understanding these stories, without understanding these moments in Jesus's life, um, some people um, can take that as a bit of a justification to be like that in their own life and sort of use Jesus's um, you know take these actions and use it as a bit of justification. Um, both perceptions of these, uh, of the way of of perceiving these stories, are, are equally as dangerous to the image we hold of Jesus. And both, if if walked out in discipleship, don't allow one to follow the true Christ, but either a fragment of him or a distortion of him. And um, if you're here tonight. Uh, if you're a Christian or maybe you're new on the, the journey and maybe you're, you're dipping your toe into Christianity, um, I'm sure you, you haven't come here tonight to hear about a fragmented or distorted version of Jesus. I'm sure you don't want to hear that uh, false image of, of Jesus here tonight, but you have in fact come to hear um, about the real Him, the true Messiah. Um, and so I pray tonight that, uh, that we would have ears to hear Him and a willingness A willingness in our hearts to be conformed to his true image. It seems an odd place to finish a series, but we are going straight to the middle of the book of Mark, um, chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. So let's turn together and read. It says, And Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, and to be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and to be killed, and after three days to rise. And he was speaking openly about the subject and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of people. And summoning the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life on account of me and of the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a person give in exchange for his life? You know, I wonder uh, what kind of things come to your mind as you hear that exchange between Jesus and Peter. You know, um, Peter is one of Jesus' followers, uh, one of his closest, one of his friends. um, And Jesus is rebuking him and calling him Satan in this moment. What thoughts of Jesus does, does this bring up for you? You know, it, it just seems so strong and such a, I don't know, such a forceful um, word from Jesus. So cutting, almost a bit impatient, just just smashes Peter with this, get behind me, Satan. How must Peter have felt receiving this, like, far out? You know, Matthew sixteen twenty two fills the gaps a little bit. And quotes, Peter as originally saying to Jesus, um, God forbid, Lord. You know, when Jesus is talking about all the stuff that has to happen to him, Peter, by rebuking him, says, God forbid it, Lord. You know, this will never happen to you, is what he says. You know, Peter, by all human accounts, seems to be saying this out of a real care and a a genuine love for Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So full on. Over a month ago, It was uh, my wife Lauren's birthday. And um, as an avid gift giver and receiver, uh, I was really keen to come up with a really great present in the weeks leading up. Uh, But I was facing some difficulty from Lauren's end. And that was that she claimed, um, she was adamant, in fact, that she did not want a single thing for her birthday. And um, therefore she was giving me zero ideas about it. But I smelt a trap. Um, I was in a precarious position. Um, Some of you may have been in this before because um, I totally understood, you know, Lauren's request to um, not just get material things for the sake of it. I totally got that and understood that. Um, But if I just rocked up empty handed on her birthday, uh, I could just see that was just not going to go down very well. Like it's just, it was going to be super disappointing both for her and for me. So I plotted um, to create a little hamper of random things. I couldn't think of one thing that she wanted. I thought, I'll just get a lot of random things. Um, And to be honest, at the time, I really thought I'd nailed it. Like I really thought I'd cracked onto some winners with this hamper. Um, I knew Lauren was in need of some Ugg boots. And uh, despite her saying multiple times, multiple times in the lead up that she did not want any Ugg boots, They were the first things I got. I went straight to Chermside, they were on sale. Peter Alexander, boom, got the Ugg boots. Um, And then I got what I thought was really nice, really fancy, really expensive room spray. I just thought, when do you ever get really nice room spray? So I got some of that. Um, To top it all off, I got some other things they're not worth mentioning. Uh, To top it all off, I went and got... um, some really nice, really fancy, again, really expensive Persian fairy floss. And, um, and there's a reason behind this. I'm, you know, I took notice of this one. That's because um, a couple of days earlier, Lauren and I were passing through this shop, and she sort of noticed this, this fairy floss and made a bit of a deal out of it. So I locked that one away. I thought, yep, I'm, I'm onto it here. I can, I, can, I can read the room. And... Um, I really thought I nailed it. Like I was really getting excited to oh, give Lauren this hamper, you know, the night before, oh, really excited. Uh, but looking back, um, I can see that despite my best intentions, the things I got for Lauren, the presents I got for her were just all but useless, if not completely irrelevant, just utterly useless. You know, the room spray, for example, I know what you're thinking, great present, Trav. The room spray, despite it being really fancy and... Uh, really expensive, was apparently not as exciting as I thought. The idea of receiving room spray on your birthday, apparently not that compelling. Who would have thought? Uh, The fairy floss turned out to be really expensive, as I found out, because it's not um, for direct consumption, apparently. It's it's meant to be put on top of really high-end cakes as like a decoration for them. You know, it's like it's hopping on these cakes. Who would have known that you're not meant to just eat it straight from the packet? I was really keen to try some. Um, And the reason Lauren made a point of it was because uh, when she was a teenager, she worked at this restaurant and she remembers them putting it on expensive cakes. And that was the reason she made a point of it. So I completely missed that as well. The only present that was really worth anything in the end was the Ugg boots. But in my fluster of getting this hamper together, I got her the completely wrong size. And so she had nothing to, she couldn't wear them on her birthday. I really should have just got her nothing. Like I really should have just taken her advice and gotten her nothing, to be honest. But a few uh, returns later, a couple of refunds and uh, Lauren does in fact enjoy wearing her UGG boots and they serve as a very humbling reminder when I see them around the house. The point of that story um, and what made me think of that uh, was that our good intentions don't always equate to good outcomes, do they? We can have the best intentions but that doesn't mean that um, the outcome is always going to be good. You know, my intentions to make Lauren feel loved on her birthday did not equate to her feeling particularly loved or heard. Um, and while my actions were well-intentioned, in the end, I had to be lovingly rebuked in a way, lovingly told um, that, that these presents were not that great. And um, I'd actually missed the point in all of this. You know, I had to be told that um, so that a good outcome could be achieved in the end. In this exchange between Peter and Jesus, uh, Peter's rebuking of Jesus seems to come from a place of really good intentions, of care and of, and of love for Jesus. You know, Jesus is now starting to talk openly about what is to come for him. And um, he's, he starts to say that he will suffer, he'll be rejected, he will be killed. And Peter hears this and he recoils at this, you know, the thought of a suffering Messiah. You know, Jesus, you must be mistaken. You're not gonna suffer. What are you talking about? You're the Messiah. What, like, this isn't gonna happen to you. In fact, the use of the word rebuke in this instance is, is so strong, such a severe word. Uh, one commentary says that its use is customarily for rebuking demons, you know, the most ultimate form of evil. So for Peter, in Peter's mind, the idea of Jesus' suffering is it's a severe evil. But what he's actually expressing here, what Peter is expressing is a a common um, stereotype or a common perception of the Messiah at the time. You see, for the Jewish people, they expected the Messiah to come and liberate them um, by being a, a powerful political and military force. This is who they thought the Messiah was going to be. You know, one who would rule over the nations, who would, um, as 2 Samuel says, have a throne, a kingdom and a dynasty and a house starting with King David that will last forever. And And that is the case with Jesus. But for them, they took that to mean that the Messiah would come and liberate the Jewish people through armies and military victories and would be strong political force. You know, he he definitely would not suffer. He definitely would not be rejected. He definitely would not be killed like Jesus is saying will happen. But what Peter didn't know and what the people at, at at this time, didn't realize is that Jesus has not come as a political leader, but as a savior for sinners. And he did not come to conquer nations, but to in fact, conquer death forever. Jesus' um, messiahship, that is um, his position as the Messiah, is, is actually founded upon his very own suffering and death. And of course, his resurrection. That's his purpose. His God-given purpose, his God-willed purpose is to suffer, is to die on the cross and be, and be raised again to life. That is his purpose from God. Peter doesn't realise it yet. No one realises this yet, but Jesus' suffering is actually the only way to destroy the stronghold of Satan. It's the only way. One commentator says, for Peter, the indication that the Son of Man will die is unthinkable. For Jesus, it is inevitable, and so it's 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 understandable and it's natural to, to to see that Peter is a bit puzzled by Jesus talking about what is to come for him. But it's by no means acceptable. Do you know what I mean? It's understandable, but it's not acceptable that Peter has this wrong view of Jesus. And so while Peter pulls Jesus aside out of um, maybe respect to Jesus and um, Peter rebukes him quietly, Jesus makes sure all the other disciples hear this one. Um, He makes sure all the other disciples can hear his rebuking of Peter. And it reminds me a little bit, um, you may have had an experience like this when you're in an exam, maybe at school or uni or something, and uh, the teacher or lecturer comes up behind you and peers over your shoulder and checks what you're doing with your work. And um, instead of whispering a response to you, they then direct their response to the whole class and say something like, um, guys, just make sure you're checking your answers, please. And you're sitting there going, what have I done wrong? <laughs> it shows us that all the disciples are thinking the same thing. They're all, they're all thinking the same thing. They all have this attitude They all have a wrongful interpretation of Jesus. Um, It's just that Peter is the one who's actually said it. We all probably have a friend like that. Everyone's thinking it, but they're the one who actually says it. And so all the disciples need to hear this. Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of people or of man." Jesus recognises straight away that this voice coming from Peter is is not a voice which speaks truth. It's not a voice which which, um, spurs Jesus on into his God-given will. But it's the voice of the deceiver, the liar, that is Satan. You know, it's the same voice, which in Luke 4, 5 to 8, tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. It, It says, Um, And the devil led him up, Satan led him up and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And Satan said to him, I will give you all this domain and their glory because it has been handed over to me and I can give it to whomever I want. So if you, Jesus, will worship before me, all this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. The word Satan um, comes from the Hebrew word of the same um, pronunciation, and it means the adversary or the accuser. John 8 44 says Satan is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 10.10 says, Satan's purpose is only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan's goal is always to impede the will of God the Father. It's always to impede God's good and perfect will for our lives, for Jesus's life even. You know, to stand in the way to muddle, to distract, to tempt us out of following in God's perfect will and into following our own will. You know, this is why Jesus so specifically uh, says that you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of people. He, he knows Satan's Um, schemes. He knows how Satan works. This is um, Satan's DNA, if he has any DNA, and that is to turn us away from setting our mind on what God would have us do, in favour of what we would have ourselves do. And, um, And Satan does this L- likes to try to do this in, in our lives today, but here he is trying it on Jesus. Like, you know, the, this is not gonna work, Satan. <laughs> like, just like in Luke 4, Satan is trying to tell Jesus that there is a way for him to achieve his purpose without suffering. You know, Satan says, I will give you all this domain and their glory if you worship me. You know, no suffering, no death on a cross, um, just, just worship me and Jesus, you can achieve your purpose. Again, Satan through Peter echoes this same tactic. You do not have to suffer, Jesus. There's another way, you know, there's another way. God forbid you suffering. You don't have to do that. Both times, can you see how, Jesus, how Satan tries to deter Jesus from fulfilling his God-given purpose as the Messiah? Both, both times he tries to slip him up, tries to deter him, tempt him out of this. And both times he uses lies. There is only one way for, for Jesus to, to, to conquer death and that is through his own death. His own death on the cross and resurrection. That's the only way this is going to work. Satan uses lies both times, but both times Jesus resists, clings to the Father's will despite the inevitability of suffering that it brings. James Edwards, a commentator, says that Jesus's concept of Messiah is not satanic, as Peter suspects, but Peter's attempt to avert him from it is. And so now with with all that in mind, we can now look at Jesus's reprimand of Peter. We can see the severity of Jesus' reprimand, his sharp demand for Satan to get behind him, to leave, to get out of his sight is not done out of anger at Peter, but ultimately out of a deep, deep love for Peter and the disciples. You know, it's, it's unacceptable for the disciples to, to believe in a lie about Jesus. It's not right. It, it, that does not lead them into the truth. If they believe a lie about Jesus, if they think in human terms and not understand the true Messiahship of Jesus. And so, and Jesus is, he's not having any of it. He's not letting that just, just um happen. He's he's pulling that up. He is he's rebuking that. Jesus knows that to think in human terms, which is when, when human things conflict with the things of God is to not be a disciple of God, but in fact to be a disciple of Satan, to be a disciple of the world. Jesus did not come to this earth to bring that kind of discipleship, to lead us in that kind of discipleship. He cannot allow that to happen to Peter and the other followers. You know, he, he would not be a loving and gracious God if he did allow that to happen. He, Jesus must address this and he must address this firmly. And, and I believe that he is addressing this in our very lives right in this moment, right now, our day-to-day lives as well. And um, he can do this and he, he should rebuke Us when we set our eyes on things of man. You know, through the Holy Spirit, we are ultimately blessed when we come face to face with the sin in our lives. Why? Because then we are enabled to bring the will of our lives back into the will of the Father, the good and perfect will of the Father. You see, the act of rebuking is not done out of an anger and condemnation and accusation. That's that's what Satan wants to do to you. But it's done out of a great and persevering love from the Lord. Recently, I've been rereading um, The Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, uh, which I'm sure many um, here would have read or at least some of C.S. Lewis's um, works. And The Screwtape Letters, it's an, it's an interesting one because it's, a, it's fictional um, and it's a satirical sort of compilation of letters and it's written, sounds bizarre, it's written from the perspective of a senior devil giving sort of advice to a junior devil on how to um, disrupt um, a man's life, how to deter him from the things of God, essentially. And it's this really clever um, look at how... Um, Satan uses different schemes to trick humans out of becoming Christians, and uh, because of this perspective that Lewis writes from um, the names of Satan and God are switched around, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit weird to get to get used to. Satan is referred to as our Father below and um, God as the enemy which it feels strange, but you get it you pick it up pretty quickly. I wanted to read you this quote. Um, that I I came across, and I just love how, how Lewis puts it. He says, He, God, really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can become food. He, God, wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and overflows. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy, meaning God, wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. I love the part, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, not because he has taken away their ability to make this decision, but because their wills freely conform to his. Straight after rebuking Peter, Jesus uh, gathers a crowd together, and this is really significant. This is one of the first times Jesus does this, gets a crowd together and shares with them. And he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life on account of me and of the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a person give in exchange for his life? Jesus gives, the, uh, gives us the answer here. You know, if, if setting our mind on human things leads to wrongful discipleship, then how do we, how do we follow you, Jesus? How do, we have, how do we follow in true discipleship? It is the denial of self and taking up of the cross that leads to true discipleship. If setting our minds on, on things of self leads to wrongful discipleship, then it's the denial of self that leads to true discipleship. Jesus gives a bit of a paradox here. And I, I get that it's a, it can be just a little bit... Um, uh, difficult to fully grasp. He, he says, for wh- whoever wants to save his life will lose it, uh, but whoever loses his life on account of me and the gospel will save it. The word for life um, in, the, in the original Greek that this, the New Testament was written um, can mean physical existence as we tend to think of life, but it's more common use is equivalent to that of personhood or being or soul. You know, the core of one's existence that is not bound by space and time, which we as Christians believe um, is part of us as humans. So the call to take up the cross that Jesus gives, you know, whilst implying a loss of physical life, does not further extend to the loss of one's soul. Rather, Jesus is here saying that the attempt to preserve physical life actually jeopardises the more essential being or soul of the disciple. Whereas the willingness to lose one's physical life for the sake of the gospel guarantees one's eternal being. The ironic part in all of this is that this one thing cannot be saved by preserving it, but only by forsaking it in favour of following Jesus. Only denying ourselves, dying to ourselves, can we possibly take up the life that Jesus has for us? You know, as one commentator puts it, the one for whom the way of Jesus is more important than his own existence will secure his eternal being. But the one whose existence is more important than Jesus will lose both Jesus and his existence. You know, if you suppose you were to gain uh, the whole world, so to speak, everything you've ever wanted, all your desires, material or not, all the things um, that appear so um, so good, so important for us as humans. So you were to gain all of that, but at the cost of your soul, of your inner being, of your most uh, your your personhood, your most inner being what would we what would we have to offer to get our life back how do we get that back you know the world we can live without the world will pass away the world will fade away we can we can live without that but our souls are eternal we are nothing without them the true way of discipleship the way of true discipleship in fact is denial of self of which the world is part of. George MacDonald has um, this incredible understanding of this. And um, the quote's gonna come up on the screen. Um, he says, when I say the world, I do not mean the world God makes and means. I mean the human hearts that live therein. Sorry, yet less the human hearts that live Therein, but the world man makes by choosing the perversion of his own nature. This is what it means by the world a world apart from and opposed to God's world. By the world, I mean all ways of judging, regarding, and thinking, whether political, economical, ecclesiastical, social, or individual, which are not divine which are not God's ways of thinking regarding or judging, which do not take God into account, do not set his will supreme as the one only law of life, which do not care for the truth of things, but only the customs of society or the practice of the trade, which heed not what is right, but the usage of the time, from everything that is against the teaching and thinking of Jesus, from the world in the heart of the best man in it, especially from the world in his own heart, the disciple must turn to follow him. The first thing in all progress is to leave something behind. To follow him is to leave oneself behind We must refuse, abandon, deny self altogether as a ruling or determining or originating element in us. It is to be no longer the region of our action. This is the best bit. We are no more to think what should I like to do, but what would the living one have me do? This is the position that Jesus longs to bring us to this is the, the the place the posture the attitude the heart in which he longs to bring us into you know a position of of a joyful self-denial where where satan's schemes are just they're just nonsense just fleeting where our wills freely conform with that of the fathers, not out of a sense of obligation or duty or out of fear or guilt, but a freeness knowing that there is grace and love that flows from him. Trusting that his will is perfect despite what the world thinks. This is ultimately the purpose of, of Jesus rebuking Peter and the disciples. This is the purpose of his rebuking of the sin in us not to bring us to a place of condemnation, not to bring us into a sense of shame or a sense in which we are downtrodden, but into a place of self-denial so that we may know the fullness of life lived in Him. It's an overflowing of love and grace from a loving and gracious God. And so just as I invite the, the team to come back up, we stand at a crossroads with this. You know, this is a, it's a huge moment. This is a huge um, decision to be made here. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a both and kind of choice. It's not um, one where we can keep Christ and our own lives and they can live together somehow. That, it's not that kind of choice. It can't be like that. We, we stand before an either or kind of choice. Either my life or Jesus. There's no separation uh, between um, sacred and secular in this. There's no separation between the natural life and the religious life in this. On Sundays, I'm giving my life to Jesus, but the rest of the week, it's mine. It's, it's, it can't work like that. We're given a choice to take up this offer. We're given a choice. No one's hand is being forced here. We get a choice to tighten our grip on our lives or otherwise release it into the hands of our loving Saviour. That's the choice here tonight. And I I know that there will be some who are are tired of holding on to their lives, just tired, physically tired, just emotionally tired of holding on to life, just trying to climb ladders. And this is not, to, this is not a condemnation kind of, of thing. This is not a guilt trip of any sense, but it's an invitation to come, lay that down at the cross to say to Jesus take everything take my dreams take all the good stuff in my life even if it look even if it sounds great even if it's um on the surface even if it looks pretty good take it lord take it all come and know life in him built upon him So as we come to a time of response um, in worship, there's, there is this opportunity to, um, to make a decision, to make a recommitment. In fact, I know for myself, just in looking at this, just, just the weight of this hit me. The, it's a constant denial of self. It's a constant dying of self that needs to take place in our lives. So maybe for you, it's a recommitment to deny self in favour of Jesus. There's a a beautiful um, hymn written by Francis Crosby in the late 1800s. It's called, Take the World, But Give Me Jesus. And um, one of my favourite sort of um, songs, one of my favourite hymns, I guess. The first verse reads, Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but His love abideth ever. Through eternal years, the same. When we stand together, as we come to respond here tonight, and um, the band is just going to sing um, the verses of of this song, "Take the World." And I, they're gonna they're gonna sing um, "Have It All" afterwards as well. We're gonna just spend a bit of time just in response to this. But even if you've never heard this song before, just take the time to respond to God in this moment. Just to hand over your life to Him afresh. You know, recommit yourself to say, Lord, I want to die to myself. I want to hand over all that I have to you. Let me pray. A great and loving God, we stand at a crossroads of a decision. And Lord, I want to pray that with your Holy Spirit's prompting and help, that we would, we would be able to truly say that we, we don't wanna live, but have you live within us, great God. To have your perfect will, have our wills align with your perfect will. To hand over ourselves all the things we love, all the things we, that look great, but aren't you. We wanna hand them over to you. Lord, we're, we're, we're tired of running the race that the world gives, of, of maybe believing lies that Satan has whispered in our ears over years that we've just come to accept as fact. We don't want to hear them anymore. We don't want to heed to them anymore, but we want to heed to your truth, to your will, great God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. That in fact, your, you dying on the cross was the exact example of self-denial. You denied yourself so that we may know life. So great God, we come now. We respond to you. We hand ourselves over to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Take the world, but give me, Jesus, all its joy.
3: Have it all Lord. every part of my world to so take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours, you can have it all. Every part of my world Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours ignore oh, all the joy i found Surrender See
0: about you but I find those words incredibly difficult to sing. You can have it all Lord and I'll tell you why because I know there's so many aspects in my life He just doesn't have. It's as simple as that. Yes we can have all the greatest intentions in the world but do we actually live it out? It's one thing to sing it but do we live it? And uh, there may be areas that God's pinpointed in your heart tonight. There's just something that says Do I really have that? If God said to you, would you give me all your money? Could you do it? If God said to you, would you give me your car? Would you do it? Now I'm not saying He's saying these things, but there's aspects in our heart and in our lives. Could we truly say, God, You could have every bit of it, every aspect in my life, my career, my dreams, my money, my car, my house, it's all Yours. And it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because the the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And yet we still have this mentality that, oh no, it belongs to me. Like, surely I'm not gonna give it all to you, great God. But as Travis was speaking tonight, there may have just been one thing. You know, I find that the closer I get to God, the more that gets exposed. And I go, oh, there's that too, there's that too. I didn't even see that Lord. I was holding on to that, I was hanging on to that. But God, He's so gracious, so loving. And He just pinpoints and He just presses and He says, what about that? What about that? I wanna deal with that in your life, one step at a time. He's amazing, so gracious, so loving. And there may have been one thing tonight as Travis was speaking that he said, what about that area of your life? There's something in your heart you haven't surrendered. There's something there you haven't given up. And God says, I want your heart, but not some of it, all of it. I want your life, I want your whole life. And if you do, and if you're willing, you'll experience life, and life to the full. It's a funny thing, you have gotta lose your life to find it. You have gotta truly lose your life to find it. And so sometimes there's something powerful about a physical response and I wanna pray for you now. You know what it is, that thing you have gotta let go of and now's your chance, now's your opportunity. Now God says, give it to me, give it to me, hand it over, surrender it all. So let's pray in an attitude of prayer. Great God, I know You're speaking. I know there's something on our hearts that we go, oh, but I don't know if I can, God. There's something on a person's heart right now. Maybe money and maybe finances and maybe a career, maybe a relationship. Maybe something that they need to surrender, give it over. Even right now, it's the battle between the flesh and the Spirit saying, I don't know if I can do this, but now's the opportunity. If that's you, just, you don't have to do this, but there's something powerful about a physical response. You know what that is, now's your opportunity to surrender to Him. I'm just wondering if you might, just in this attitude of prayer, just put your hands in front of you with your palms facing up. Maybe place that thing in your hands right now just as a a response, Not, not physically, but just in your mind, just visualise, putting that in your hands and saying, here God, this is yours. Right now, here God, I hand it over to you. I surrender it to you now. Lord, forgive us in this moment for, we didn't do this earlier, forgive us, Lord, for the aspects of our heart and our lives that we haven't fully, uh, truly surrendered to You, great God. But in this moment, a powerful, holy, righteous moment, in this moment, great God, we say it's Yours. I surrender, I give it to You, great God, in this moment. And so thank You for those that responded. This is a defining moment, a moment that changes everything for some, a moment that changes the direction of their life as we hand it over to You, great God. And God, we want to be able to sing, May You Have It All. That's where we want to be. We want You to be Lord of our lives, not just sometimes, not just in aspects. We want You to be truly Lord of our lives so that we can sing wholeheartedly, You Can Have It All. And so, great God, we respond to You. Oh, great God, come and continue to minister by Your Spirit, great God. We just sing again. Have it all, great God. Let this not just be words, but from the bottom of our hearts, Great God, we pray. We worship you. We honor your you, Holy King. True, great God. I think uh, you know it's not—it's not about our intentions, and our heart, and our desire. We wanna—we wanna be able to sing those words from the bottom of our heart, but we just struggle. We're struggling to let go of things in our lives, and so I just pray humbly tonight. We pray humbly. Help us, forgive us, Lord, but help us. We—we we need you. We desperately need you, and and we want you to just come and fill us afresh, and just help us to let go of the things that we're holding on to, Father God. And so, Lord, we want to get to a place where we can truly say You can have it all, like every aspect, every element, that that our heart is truly Yours, great God. And so humbly, we just say, Lord, we need You. Holy Spirit, thank You that You're a helper and You never leave us nor forsake us. And so we thank You for that, great God. What a promise, because we so desperately need You. We uh, honour You tonight. You're a great Father. We thank You, great God, for all that You want to do. Continue to work in our hearts, great God, we pray. And uh, Lord, we just surrender, use us this week. Wherever wherever we are, with whatever we're doing, great God, continue to use us and work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's been so good to have you here. Great to have you online. But I wanna say this, if you want prayer, do not leave without getting prayer. We would love to pray for you. It's really important. Um, But yeah, uh, great to have you here. Have an awesome week. May God use you this week, whatever you're doing. And uh, feel free to hang around and connect afterwards as well. But God bless you and uh, we'll see you soon.